Well, I hope you forgive me taking a, a rather personal um, approach to this talk on worship today. We're beginning a, a new series where we're looking at what we're calling spiritual fitness after our bishop, Bishop Graham Tomlin's book. And the idea is that there are various things that you can do more of, which make you more fit, and various things that you can do less of uh, that make you uh, less unfit. And uh, today we're looking at worship, and that's one that you can do more of uh, to get you more fit, in case that was in, in any doubt whatsoever. So that's, that's the plot spiller. Uh, more worship is good for you. Uh, that's probably the main thing we need to know. Um, but uh, let me pray, and then we'll get into this story of worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we have not worshipped you with our whole hearts. We have not loved you with all that you've made us to be. But in your mercy, forgive us. Help us amend us and help us to hear your word today and incline our hearts to do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Like many people here, I grew up with church. Church was part of my reality. I went to Sunday school, and I can remember at one point in the Worthing Tabernacle down on the south coast, uh, the band came into our Sunday school, and they spent a rather lovely session with us at 10 or 11, uh, teaching us how to write a worship song for ourselves. And uh, I, I can remember the words still today, which is quite a few years on. It was... Lord, we love you for giving us your son. You're our saviour. You're the one. And there are other words as well. But it's stuck in my mind. And even before I'd had that experience with the band coming in, teaching us, um, I can remember sometimes singing in the car songs that we'd heard. This was the era of a, a man called Ian Smale, known as Ishmael to other people. And there was a one time when they came to our church and he'd written lots of sort of quite... Uh, easy children's songs. The most famous one, I believe, is uh, Father God, I Wonder How I Managed to Exist Without the Knowledge of Your Parenthood and Your Loving Care. Um, and his daughter was uh, there as well, and she was doing interpretive Christian dance uh, right up the front. And I was 12, and she was rather attractive and a couple of years older than me, so uh, that, that was another experience of worship I had uh, growing up. Um, but I used to, I used to sing uh, to God. There was something in me they wanted to express adoration to God, uh, sometimes in the car, sometimes just on my own. And it was, it was deep and personal to me. As I went through my teenage years, I, I went on Christian camps, and, and generally we went sailing in Norfolk on the Norfolk Broads, and maybe about 30 or 40 of us would, would gather, and we'd have six-berth yachts, go sailing, and we'd have evening meetings where there was some singing or Bible study. And I remember one of those evening meetings when I, I guess I was 14, and the Holy Spirit really came on our little gathering of about six people in a, in a half-birth boat. And um, I, I remember throwing my Bible up in the air um, and dropping it on the floor <laughs> in a sacrilegious moment of praise. And lots of little moments, little encounters with God growing up. I've told you many times before about uh, my more radical conversion when I was 17, and how that caused me to want to sing to God. And the songs that have been stilted in my tongue, that I couldn't sing out, that I couldn't express, when I was 15, 16, and going into 17, suddenly started to flow out again. I wasn't embarrassed by who was across the road from me, however pretty she may be. I just wanted to sing uh, to God. There was something that clicked in, uh, and I began to sing. Um, 
I, when I went up to university, singing was uh, part of the church that I went to, but in a, um, in a way a, a bit like uh, the way that we sing here. It was, it was mainly hymnody, um, belting out great songs. There were about 500 of us gathered uh, morning and evening at Eden Baptist Church in Cambridge. And uh, I, I remember singing out God's praises with scores of voices around and enjoying that sense of being part of something bigger. Every now and then, I would have a sense that the service was a bit off kilter. Um, and at 18, you obviously know everything about everything, so um, I discerned that it was off kilter. And um, I, I discovered that if I prayed um, in my mind, in my spirit, under my breath, then it felt like the whole church sort of began to explode and came into life. So I would, I would pray and things would seem to happen, not just for me, but um, the other people around me. And I was like, ooh, this feels like it's taking off. And about that time, I also went on a mission with uh, Operation Mobilization, who uh, ran a thing called Love Europe, among other endeavors. And the idea of Love Europe, it was the era before student loans and grants and so forth, when students were gloriously free of all of these uh, incumbencies. And you went to university just because you went to university. You, know, you, you weren't settled with any debt. And the whole summer was free. So they would take masses of students from around the world, dump them on some poor, unexpecting post-communist country, and, uh, and unleash them to share the gospel. And uh, I ended up back in Romania in 1997, and back actually at the, the church family where I'd been converted uh, fully in 95. And their method of evangelism was the, the associate pastor, who was an extraordinarily talented um, uh, orchestra-level um, violinist and a wonderful pianist, um, but who was living off $40 a month to be a, a pastor of this little church in a backwater in Romania. Um, he would go and play on his keyboard songs that he'd translated from Mission Praise or Songs of Fellowship into, um, into Romanian. And many of his favorites were ones by a man called John Wimber, who some of you will, will register the name. He was a Californian who had been part of the Righteous Brothers, I believe it was, a sort of a a sort of folky pop group uh, from back in the day. Um, uh, it's probably got a better name than that. But anyway, he got converted and wrote some incredibly intimate songs. And I remember this guy, he's called uh, Addy, Addy Popper. Uh, and we were, we were singing, um, often in a, in a public marketplace, and he'd just start worshipping. And, um, and people would then gather around and once he'd got a crowd, and it was a, a relatively hostile crowd because it was an orthodox country, and this was a Baptist church, and once he'd got a crowd, he'd then preach the gospel, and he'd plant a church um, from the people who got converted, and then he'd move on to the next town and do the singing, preach, plant another church. And this in the uh, mid-90s mid was really taking off in post-communist Romania. There were churches being planted all over the place. It was very interesting seeing the power of, of music and how it was bringing people together in different ways. And one of the songs by, by Wimber was um, a song very simple, just four lines. It says, isn't he beautiful? Um, beautiful, isn't he? Prince of peace, son of God, isn't he, isn't he? I remember a couple of us were, were just singing songs in a sort of an adrenaline buzz after one of these um, church planting encounters. Um, and we were singing that rather flippantly, you know, just, just because we were singing as we were going along. And he stopped us, I remember it ever so clearly, saying, no, that's, that's a beautiful song. That song's worthy 
of your attention. And what I saw is that he'd learned through this most simple of lyrics to focus his attention and his heart fully on the Lord Jesus and Father God through the Holy Spirit. And to have one of those moments of worship, which I have come to reflect as I've been thinking about this talk today, are probably extraordinarily rare. See, my hunch is that we probably rarely worship. That's my hunch. If you were to define worship as giving all of your worth to the one who is worth. Um, and the, the, the pop talk in sort of Christian speaking about worship picks up from the sort of passage that we had here in Chronicles, where it's talking about how great the Lord is and most worthy of praise, be feared above all gods, all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heaven. And the pop talk is to sort of contrast um, whether it sort of says you, you will always worship because you were made to worship. Either you're worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. And it makes some sense, doesn't it? You know, back in the day, it was worshipping idols made of sticks and stones. Um, and today, the, the argument goes, it's materialism, or it's your academic career, or it's your, uh, your future, or it's your children. You make an idol of them, you worship them, and, and so forth. Um, or you worship God. My hunch is it's just much more blurry than that. I, I think that we've lived in an era that's even more sad than that. Because actually the people who give all their worth to one of those things, often there's a commendable bit to it, isn't it? You know, they get an incredible career. They have, you know, these extraordinary high pushed children who uh, go on to greatness for a while until they burn out at university. Um, there's something about it. There's an, a sort of an achievement about it. But my hunch is that most of us live in a sort of fog where we're neither worshipping God fully nor anything else fully either. Because anything that's really worshipping sort of takes you away from the simplest, easiest things, which is sort of you, the you-ness. And it's always easier to flick on Netflix. It's always easier to open that bottle of wine or whatever. It's just easier just to cop out, isn't it? So my hunch is that we, we rarely truly worship. Worship, I think, is something where we're fully engaged with God. The other sort of pop talk on worship is worship carries on all the time. You're always worshiping. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, you're worshiping. You know, the service is over, worship begins. Um, off you go. But again, my hunch is that very little of our day-to-day -day lives is, is genuine worship. I'm talking about myself here, and if you're on a different plane, then forgive me, it's not supposed to be a negative criticism. It's just a sort of, I wonder what it could be like if we were worshipping. You see, I was talking to Jilly Goddard's brother-in-law yesterday, and he was uh, telling me about a trip that he'd taken to California back in 1981, and he travelled with a very well-known Christian minister. And he said that during that trip, which was to this guy John Wimber's church, he saw this minister's face utterly transformed. All the wrinkles go. He was just filled with the spirit almost continuously and constantly. And he says, in that time, Sandy, the Sandy Miller, I saw 
what I think you're going to look like in heaven. Because you truly were, in the words of the great hymn, lost in wonder, love and praise. You were just caught up in worship. And when worship happens, really happens, it's like everything just sort of stands still. You know, the, the hymn that says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less day to sing your praise, is a horrific death sentence. Unless worship is more than just, you know, a sort of, there was a church down the road that was trying to raise money for an organ, so they sang for 24 hours in a row. And it was like, you know, they got money paid to them for enduring this hymn singing. That was just for 24 hours. You know, it's, it's like a horror to think you're supposed to do it for 10,000 years. You know, what, are you going to be sponsored for that? The true worship must be more transcendent than that. I wonder if you've glimpsed true worship in your life. It can be just in an instant. It can be just a moment of your, your life. Often it requires you humiliating or humbling yourself in some ways. One of the, the I believe it's a, a Greek word for worship in the scripture is um, something like proskuneo. And it, it means to approach, to bow down. It's a definition of worship. It's coming before God and, and making yourself nothing before him. It, it's a wholehearted thing. The scripture says, you will, um, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. Worship, I think, has to be correlated with wholeheartedness. But we're, we're not beings who are very easily inclined towards wholeheartedness, are we? Um, Kierkegaard, the great philosopher, talked about uh, how perfect love was willing one thing. If you could just be single-minded, then you could head towards perfection. Of course, we're anything but, are we? One of the, the great guides I had at university to prayer was saying, keep a notepad with you when you're trying to pray, because as soon as you close your eyes, bow your heads, and try and pray about anything, the shopping list, the children, the, the spouse, the future, the day, the, it's all crowding in, isn't it? One-mindedness one is hard to achieve. So he said, you will write it down, and you can just park it, and then maybe you can focus in on being more wholehearted for a while. So maybe we've experienced only very little of it. Maybe you've got moments where you can say, oh, I, maybe then. I suppose for a lot of us, those moments are moments where we've been carried along with other people as well. So if you're in a crowd of people who are truly worshipping, obviously sometimes it can be a really isolating and alienating experience if you're not in the moment. But if you are, there's a sort of sense that you accelerate together. It's a bit like the whole atmosphere in the room changes, and you're like, yeah, I'm worshipping. We're worshipping. There's a crowd of us worshipping. It's a cacophony, a polyphony of great noise coming out. But... Um, and there may be times of uh, deep personal encounter with God. I, I remember on a camp going into a chapel on my own when I was 19 and just having a hymn book and, 
and singing the song, When I Feel the Touch of Your Hand Upon My Face, it causes me to sing a song that I love you, Lord, and oh, from deep within, my spirit rises unto you. You are my king, you are my friend, and I love you, Lord. And those incredibly simple words that the likes of Wimber wrote in the 80s and so forth, just teaching you, coaching you, to offer your whole heart to God. I will worship, I will worship with all of my heart, with all of my heart. It's sort of coaching you towards this experience of going, I'm here and in it. So, so maybe we've, we've not had much experience of it. Maybe we've, we've had some. Is it worth worshipping? Is it, is it worth it? Is it the eternal death sentence? Or is it something worth getting to. Jesus, talking about the kingdom of God, said, it's like a pearl of great price. When you've seen it, you sell everything you've got so that you can get this one pearl by the land that it's buried in and, and grab this one thing. It is real worship worth it. The great defines, the reformers thought it was. They wrestled through the whole scripture and they knew it so, so much better than, than we do today. And they said that looking through the scriptures and church history, the chief end of mankind in those days, or humankind today, is to, I might get it slightly wrong, but to praise God and enjoy him forever. To worship God and enjoy him forever. That's what you were made for, they said, on the evidence of all the scriptures put together. The, the, you were basically made to enjoy God and praise him. So if it's what you were made for, it's probably quite important, isn't it? Jesus said, true worshippers are those who worship in spirit and in truth. So there's an idea that real worship only comes when you start with the truth, the scripture. That's why I started with all those names of God earlier on, that he is, that he is healer, that he's your banner, that he's your provider, that he's almighty, that he sees, that he's the great I am, that he's the powerful, almighty God. It starts from a place of truth. And then it says, is it, is it true that you're beckoning me in to your presence? Is it true that you're welcoming me in? May I approach? Can I ascend the hill of the Lord? Can I stand in that holy place? And the answer is, if you want to. But approaching God costs you. That's the other trouble with it. It's what you were made for, but it costs you. We only have a, a few encounters, deep encounters, with God written up for us in the Bible. Paul has an amazing encounter, and he says, I can't even tell you about it. <laughs> it's forbidden to tell you about this amazing encounter. But Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, tells us this extraordinary encounter he has with God, and he sees God, and immediately he falls down and says, Woe is me! For I'm a sinful man, and I've got unclean lips. And an extraordinary angel comes along and gets a, a burning coal from the fire and puts it on his lips to purify him. When St. Peter meets Jesus and sees Jesus perform one of his early miracles, it's just some fish jumping into a boat. He has the same reaction, woe is me, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. You can't approach God apart from in his holiness. So we, we have a sort of choice. And 
I've always been quite drawn to a book by a man called Rick Joyner called The Final Quest, and he, ha he has this idea that one of the ways of getting closer to God is by grasping the, the ever so dark stone, which is the stone of suffering. Uh, Jesus was perfected through all that he endured. And we too, as we go through the mill and the turmoil of life, get perfected, I guess. So here's my final experience of worship I want to share with you. It's not mine at all. It's the experience of going to some of our um, Caribbean or African uh, families at time of death or sorrow. I don't know if you've ever had uh, the privilege, or even on birthdays, actually, and um, seeing groups of people gathered around in a living room, often with copious amounts of uh, fizzy pop and biscuits and stuff on display as well, and then just starting to sing, singing these great spiritual songs. Shall we gather at the river? Uh, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And in the midst of the darkest or hardest moments, offering praise to God and finding that incredible transcendence. It's one thing to worship God, isn't it, when, like in this passage in Chronicles, the temple has just been built, and uh, the ark's there, and everyone's in the land, and King David's on the throne. Another thing to worship God when you're in exile, when things are tough. But, you know, I, I've got children, as most of you know, and uh, when they're a certain age, they come up to you very easily and give you a hug and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Uh, as they get a bit older and a bit more distance, any little I love you moment becomes so much more precious, doesn't it? Just as a parent, just naturally. And I guess... Some of what we offer to God in worship when we're in the place of pain or grasping onto suffering is like that to him. You want to worship me even when things are tough? You want to worship me when you're just holding on by a thread? Wow, that blesses my heart. I think the Lord says, it blesses me that you bless me. It blesses my heart. So, worship is many different things. It's not a music style. I'm blessed by not being too musical, so I can cope with three-chord songs. <laughs> you may be far too advanced for such things. But it is a deep encounter with God. It is what you were made for. It is, I think, extraordinarily rare but it's worth giving everything to go deeper in and pursue him. If you wanted to start with just one place, I would do this. There's an old hymn. It says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and you'll be surprised what the Lord has done. And whether you're in a good place or a difficult place, as you go to bed at night, go, God, thank you for this. I praise you for that. I thank you for this. I praise you for that. I worship you for this. And above all those things, I worship you for who you are. You are my banner. You are my healer. You are my provider. 
No matter what the circumstance looks like, you are God and I praise you. Now, I think you'd be surprised by how quickly that might transform your and my spiritual fitness through the discipline of worship. May God bless this talk to us and help us to become the worshippers in spirit and truth that he longs for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.